Welcome to The Bibliophiles, the official podcast of Big Little Literature. I'm your host, Beth Stephens, and I'm here to provide real lit feels for real lit lovers. Hi, book lovers. Welcome to another episode of The Bibliophiles. Today, my guest is another coworker. I'm very blessed to have wonderful coworkers. And she and I met about a year ago, and I think we first bonded over our shared love for pop culture and for Taylor Swift, who we both love dearly. So please welcome to the podcast, Sakshi Bhatnagar. Hey, everyone. Excited to be here. So the the book we're talking about today, um, I reviewed uh, about a month ago, and it's called City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. And Sakshi was actually the one who convinced me to read this. We were at a work happy hour talking about books as I, as I normally do at social functions. And Sakshi mentioned this book to me, which had been recommended to me before, but she gave it such, she was, she rated it so highly. So I thought, okay, I have to read this book. And I loved it. I gave it five flames. Sakshi, what would you rank the book? So what's interesting is I read this book maybe four or five months ago, around the time I told you about it. And at the time, I was so excited about it. I think if you'd asked me then, I would have given it five. But like, with now time, having passed, like read some other books, I think would actually just be a four. Ooh, very interesting. We're going to have to dive yeah. into that. But before we do that, just give a quick synopsis of the book. So it's historical fiction, chiclet. It follows a young woman named Vivian in the 1940s. And we start off the book, she's just been kicked out of school because she did nothing. She never went to class. She should not have been a student. And her parents ship her off to, to New York to live with her aunt. And while she's there, um, her aunt actually owns a theater, and she puts on plays. And so Vivian really just dives into this world of, of plays, into the theater. Um, she meets a lot of starlets and gets into a lot of trouble. And some of that trouble will actually cause her to leave New York City. And so then about that second half of the book, it's really about her finding herself and learning from the mistakes that she's, that she's made as a young adult. And I gave it five flames. I mean, for many reasons, I love this book. Um, it was so fun to read. I read it um, on a couple of trips that I was on. And like, I just, I couldn't put it down. I thought it was hilarious. I found myself smiling and laughing out loud many times while I was reading it. And the voice was was incredible. I thought Gilbert did such a good job of incorporating Vivian's voice into the narrative. And she maintained it throughout the entire book. What was your favorite part of the book? So that was, I was thinking a lot about that, um, especially because I haven't read it in a while. I just thought about the parts that stuck with me the most. And it's, I don't know if I would say this is my favorite part, but the part I think most about or think back on is when she's driving home after like everything falls apart in the city and she's with her brother and like some random guy um, who was in the army with him. And just, there's a scene where she, it's from her perspective, and then the scene when it's from the perspective of Angela's father. And those are the two moments that stick out to me the most for some reason. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that car ride, so the car ride comes after she, like, she royally screws up and gets herself into trouble. But I think that car ride, more so than the event itself, is kind of what changes her life and what, what forms that foundation of who she becomes later in life. So it's definitely an important scene. Yeah. I think like everything around that moment or everything leading up to that moment was just so crazy to me. Like, to be honest, the reason she leaves is because she has a threesome mm-hmm. with like her best friend and then her idol cousin. <laughs> and I was just like, and you know, like that's crazy. 
I guess, like from the 1940s or 50s, I was like, that's just like bonkers. And then I think when you put it into that context, I'm always like, what an insane string of events that was set in such an unexpected time. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of my favorite parts about Vivian, I mean, I she I just love her. She's one of my favorite favorite characters I've ever read. But she she talks about this later in the book, and it's it's all from her perspective. So it's her writing a letter to somebody and retelling her life. Um, I think she's like eighty or something when she's retelling this story. But she talks about how like she and the company that she's kept for all of these decades were so far ahead of their time and. I don't mean that in the context of having a threesome, but they were they were feminists. They were they were for LGBTQ rights, like all of these various things. They were very much ahead of their time for this being in the 1940s and 50s. And I yeah, I think there's a, a moment at the very end where she was like, you know, I lived through the sex revolution in the 60s and 70s, and you know, we'd we'd all done that before like, by a whole group of people. And again, that was a really poignant moment. I was like, what? I always thought it was interesting that she decided to set this story, like Gilbert set the story in the 40s and the 50s, opposed to a time that would have been, like, quote-unquote, more appropriate for or what people would associate with that wildness. Do you think it worked, though, uh, taking place in the 40s and 50s, or do you think it would have been better to be in a different decade? No, I think it was, a, it was set in the best time because something about it's more shocking. Like, mm-hmm. even though it maybe wouldn't be shocking in today's standards, the fact that she said it in the 40s made it so shocking and so revolutionary. Obviously, those people must have existed during those times, just for whatever reason, we don't can think about them. Yeah, they seem, they were kind of swept underneath the radar, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So you had said in the beginning that, you know, over the past few months since you've read it, you would your rating would decrease to a four. I want to dive into that. Why do you think that that's the case? So the fact that, first of all, the fact that you think that Vivian was your favorite character, I think is, like, crazy. She was definitely the most well-rounded character, of course, because it was written from her perspective through her life. But she was the most annoying character, and she also knew that, I guess. <laughs> oh, she was she was totally annoying. But I think the reason I loved her so much is because of the way that Gilbert wrote her. Like, for the entire book, like, she maintains her character, her mannerisms. Like, even when she grows up, like, she's, she's still Vivian. And, like, all of her experiences, she's just so shameless about like she is who she is and I love that about her even though you're right she is so annoying at times she was a she's a great character for sure yeah and I think what like pulled me in was just the setting like she just set the scene of this place and this experience and this theater and it's so specific like I got so sucked into that world that I couldn't put it down I had to keep going and then even though I feel like this is in some ways the least interesting reveal about who Angela actually was or Angela's father actually was to Vivian, I just needed to know, like, how this all fit in. But I just couldn't put it down. I had to keep reading, and I wanted to, like, understand how this whole story kind of weaves into her life and this world that was created. Um, but then, like, thinking back on it, the second half was, I guess, like, arguably less interesting, even though it was vital to the story. Mm-hmm. It added a lot of context to the earlier parts of her life. So like, that's where I kind of have mixed feelings on it. Like, of course, she had to have calmed down when she came back to the city the second time around and, you know, worked for, like, the Army in World War II from New York and kind of created this life for herself. But the, in life, you obviously, things just calm down in certain ways, but then a boringness to that, you know? Mm-hmm. And actually, you echoed exactly what the New York Times said. So um, every time I review a book, I like to look at other reviews just to see what critics say. And not that I really follow critics, but the New York Times had said 
like, you know, the beginning half is, is so fun and then the narrative really lacks in the second half. Um, I actually, I didn't feel that way. I thought that it was, it just showed her maturity. I see what you mean about it being a little more boring, but I was, she, I still think she had such an interesting life. Like she came back and she was working for the war cause and then she started the bridal boutique with one of her friends. So I thought she just had a really fascinating life and something that really echoes, you know, some of the crazy lives that, you know, live in New York City, which is, which was very interesting to me. That's true. It gave me a different perspective, like living, both of us living right up, you know, outside of New York City, walking around and seeing older people who you could tell have been there their whole life, and you just know they've lived probably the whole time of their lives. And I think it gave me a lot of perspective from that way. I guess you're right. The second half was good. But I see what Maybe you mean, though. Like the letdown of who Angela's father was, and for whatever reason, like, name is escaping me. It was a bit of a letdown to me. I was like, oh, that's it. And I know it's silly, but I was like, I wanted something more. <laughs> Yeah, when I was reading it, I like I wanted to know who Angela was. So for those who haven't read it, um, Angela is who Vivian is writing this very long letter, this 400-page letter to. So we don't know who Angela is until really like the last, I don't know, like 30 pages, maybe 50 pages. And when I was reading it, I don't think I was I was so in, intrigued with who, with who this person she was writing to. I was just more fascinated with Vivian's story than, you know, who was actually reading this letter. Oh, yeah. I would just, I think I was the whole time looking forward to finding out who this man was in Vivian's life and, like, what all the secrecy behind it is or what kind of impact he had on her, like, who, what happened between them. And I guess, like, what I found out happened between them. It was interesting in some ways, and the like, the kismet of, like, how they first met, which was in the car where he was driving her home and, like, called her, like, essentially a whore. Well, to me, was like, oh, my God, like, I couldn't believe it. But then, like, everything that followed after that was a relationship, I was like, oh, well, this is really nice. And um, it was it was such a departure from, like, her earlier life. I mean, which is, she grows up, mm-hmm. and, and you can see that, and she gains all this wisdom. But the relationship she has with him is very different than any other relationships that she's had in her life. I guess they, like, their relationship almost made me sad because it could never be more than what it was. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it felt like for neither of them, it was fulfilling. It was able to fulfill what that relationship could, relationship could have been under different circumstances. Do you think under different circumstances, Vivian could have even had a relationship like that? Because she'd never really been romantically linked with somebody she was always like a very carefree woman who liked to have sex who was very comfortable with being by herself so do you think she could have opened herself up to that probably not so I've been going through a bit of like a rom-com book reading phase where it's like I need my book to have like I don't know why like I just had a like some resolution and I guess my sadness comes from the fact that that you know this person that she fell in love with in a very platonic but kind of beautiful way his life to me always felt so unfulfilled um, yeah his his story was so sad it was the most heartbreaking part of the book it was just there's no happy ending there's like there's no like upsides of his life and he found he found solace in her and she found solace in him and I guess it was her story and I'm glad you mentioned, like, after you had read, um, how you had read the book and read about these people who'd lived in New York City their whole lives, because I also, after I read it, was looking around, I'm like, I wonder, like, who's been here their whole life, or who, like me, moved here, you know, when they were young, and New York Magazine, I think was last year, 
they did an entire feature about people who have lived their entire lives in New York City. And it's it's just fascinating to read about these people because, I mean, I'm not from New York. So I, I read about these people who have been here and it's all they know. And it's just so fascinating to me. There was, so what was really funny is after I read the book, um, Humans of New York did a profile on this woman who had lived in her whole life in New York. And she was like, you know, an old woman who ran a big fur coat and seemed like, you know, maybe a little eccentric. But her story was like wild. She was a stripper in the 60s or 70s and like met all these famous people and was like in a gang and did all this like crazy shit. I was like, oh, she's just like Vivian. Like she just lived this whole insane life that I feel like people in New York used to live. Well, in, in New York uh, too, I feel like every every decade, I mean, just like reading back in books and, and stories, like New York every decade changes. You know, the 70s was completely different than it was from the 80s and 90s. And these these people have experienced the changes right along with the city. Right. They've seen, like, they've seen so many iterations of New York. And it was amazing reading the book because Vivian was able to tell her whole story of New York. And you could see through her and her aging the way New York was also kind of settling. And I, I also just love stories that take place in New York. And so that was that was another great part for me was just seeing like, oh, look how the city has changed. And it's such an interesting place. And I love it so much. So I definitely had like a lot of corny New York moments while I was reading it. So um, the Lily Theater, I thought about that constantly and like kind of place it of where New York it actually would have been. And like what a different place New York must have been, like where that theater was located from what it is now. Like it must have been like somewhere... I don't know. I think it was on 50th Street, so yeah, like in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, and I mean, Hell's Kitchen, I'm sure hasn't changed much, but I can just imagine it being like a kind of more immigrant neighborhood with this random, dumpy, like Lily's Theater in the middle of it. And I was like, what a different place, and like how she would go to that warehouse where she, you know, eventually met her best friend. Yeah, when they when she was talking about all the immigrants in the neighborhoods, like that's so different from how Hell's Kitchen is these days. Like obviously there are still immigrants in the area, but it like when I think about, you know, major pockets of the city with different ethnicities, like I think of the Lower East Side or or Brooklyn, I don't think of Hell's Kitchen. So that was interesting to read. So I will say this. The best part of the book is the way Gilbert painted New York and how she just you felt like you could have been there, mm-hmm. um, which is hard. I feel like hard for me normally because I know New York the way it is now. So to imagine any other way is like crazy. Well, and that's why she's. I mean, I've never read any of her books, but that's I think what makes her such a great great writer. Is she's able to to paint the scenery as if like you're there, and she's able to paint the characters in the same way too. So you feel like you know the place, like you could walk down the street and you know exactly what she's talking about. And you also feel like you are sitting right next to these characters who she's talking about. I just like, in some ways, I wish I was there then. Could see New York as this I know. kind of place with just like random little theaters and pockets of cultural and theater that was much more underappreciated at the time. I know. I love to read about it in the 40s. It was so interesting. When, you know, shit hits the fan for Vivian and she has to leave the city, Edna Parker, like the woman that she idolizes, whose husband she had slept with, and, you know, it had been all over the newspaper, basically told her that she'll never be interesting, and she's not as significant as she thinks that she is, and she never will be. And, like, that stayed with me throughout the whole book, because I wondered how other people would feel about that, and if that ultimately ended up being true about Vivian. So I I wanted to ask you about that, too, because so reading different reviews, I saw, like, Vulture was, um, in their review, they wrote, like, Edna Parker was right, Vivian was dull, 
And that surprised me. Like, I didn't think Vivian was dull at all. I thought she was, I think, an interesting person to me as somebody who is 100% themselves. And I think it took Vivian a little bit of time to get there. But she, once she did, I thought she was a very interesting person. What do you think? I agree, but I also disagree. I think at the time when Edna said that to her, Vivian thought she was the center of the world and that she people cared about who she was and what she did and that she was the most interesting person in the room. Mm-hmm which at that time was just, like, objectively untrue, especially taking into account all of the people that she was surrounded by. Um, yeah, I agree. I definitely, like, I, when that was spoken to her, I don't think she was an interesting person. She was not even, like, she was just, I don't know, living this crazy life without any substance. But I think it ultimately, Edna was still right at the end of the day because Vivian grew up, I mean, yes, she grew up to be a really interesting person, but she didn't grow up to be anybody in the way that I think Edna had meant it. She ended up just living a life. I'm sure one day we're going to be 80, and we would have objectively lived, like, interesting lives for someone who's lived so long. And I think she objectively lived an interesting life for someone who has, like, experience in life and has seen the world and never lived through the time she lived through in New York. Mm-hmm. I wonder if my but, if my opinion is colored because so I like I also I was idolizing Edna when we were first reading about her and then after that whole thing went down I don't know I I didn't really like Edna anymore like I thought she was she wasn't supporting a fellow female which is not the kind of character she was she was the type of person to to always support morals and to support women regardless. And then she kind of like turned her back on her. And obviously like what Vivian did was terrible, but also what Edna's husband did was terrible. And she didn't seem to have a problem with her husband doing it. So at that point, I think my opinion of Edna changed. And maybe because of that, I want to believe that Vivian became an interesting person. So I agree. I think after that, I was like, oh, Edna's not a good person and does not live up to the value she espouses. But I think at the end of the day, Edna was a more interesting person than Vivian in the way that maybe, I don't know, I just think that Edna was right. Mm -hmm. Vivian ended up just being another person who lived a great life, but never lived up to the level of significance that maybe a lot of people in her earlier life would have Mm -hmm. and did. Um, She just ended up becoming a good person, Mm -hmm. maybe not an interesting person. What I think you, you either become a good person or you become, like, a quote-unquote interesting, significant, remembered person. What would have flipped your opinion of her? Um, I don't know, like, and this is so vain, and I don't really believe this in real life, but, like, she would have, like, become someone important mm-hmm. um, like in her profession. And I think what Vivian learned over time is, like, those things don't matter, and the reason she ended up becoming such an amazing, like, wedding dress designer and kind of an understated wedding dress designer because she learned to just listen. She learned to... For, you know, these brides to come in and listen to them to calm them down and to understand their vision um, and, like, step out of the spotlight. And, like, that ended up becoming her gift. But she could have gone in a different direction and become this, like, quote, unquote, interesting Edna-level person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we – it's it's interesting how we can – how we view, like, real-life people and how we can have opinions on, on book characters. Do you think it's possible for a book character to be both interesting and good? I think a book character, especially when it's written from their perspective, even if they're the most boring person in real life, they're always an interesting character because everyone's inner like life and inner thoughts are fascinating and insane. But I don't think any book character can be good. I mean, they can be good, but they can't be perfect. Ooh, this is very deep. I like where this is going. 
I think about these things a lot. <laughs> just, you know, when you start a book, like, you start it from a one character's perspective. And in terms of the books I've been reading recently, it's often, like, women who are around the same age as me. So I immediately, I'm like, you are great. You're, like, doing this and this, and you're trying so hard, and you're so sweet. But then as the book goes on and they go through more things, they're like, oh, you're not at that great. Like, you shouldn't have done this, or you shouldn't have done that. But then they just become a person. I guess I'm thinking of, like, I mean, one of my favorite book characters of all time, which is Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. And I feel like she's a good person and an interesting person, but she's also one of my favorites, so maybe that's why I think that. Well, wouldn't you argue that most people, especially when, like, a story is somewhat from their perspective, they're always going to come off as a good person Mm -hmm. and, like, can easily be the enemy in, like, someone else's story? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's why I love books. It creates, it has this like level of empathy for people you wouldn't really think about or care for. Mm-hmm. Like Vivian, Vivian, if I had ever met, I would think she is the worst person. Oh, I would <laughs> not be friends. What, unless, depending on what point in her life I met her, of course. I do love a good book that where where the main character, like whoever's telling the story, where like you you like them, but they're they're terrible. So I read a book a couple years ago called The Ice Cream Queen of Orchard Street. And the main character, it's told by this woman, she's the main character, and she's she's a terrible person. Like, she deceives people, um, she pretends to do good things to give herself a good name, but, like, there's always some hidden reason why she's doing them. And she's she's awful. But she was also so much fun to read about. And, I like, I loved that book, and I loved reading about her because she she was so terrible. And in the terms of literature, it was okay for me to like somebody who was bad. Right, and it made it it made it more fun. Mm-hmm. I like reading about characters that if I thought about it enough, I'd be like, Ugh, I don't want to ever meet this person in real life. But I love reading about the like the shenanigans they're getting up to and like why they do all these things. I totally agree. I think the best part about Vivian's character is that like in the first half of the book, there was no reason for why she was doing it. She didn't even know why she was doing it. She didn't know why you know Baxter didn't work out for her. Why she fell out of place everywhere she went. And I think it was like a really relatable thing. Like, being in your, like, 20s, maybe living in New York, kind of being a little out of control for no specific reason, (laughs) and just feeling, like, a little out of place, and then kind of finding your niche over time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's definitely relatable. I I agree with you. I don't think I would have liked her in her young 20s, Um, but she does have a lot of relatable experiences, and how she learns from those experiences, I think, is you can draw empathy from that, and it's, it's relatable for all of us who are reading about it. That was another thing about the book that I really liked, that I forgot about it until now, is the experience of moving to New York, like, sometime in your 20s or, like, when you're younger, it seems to just be always the same roller coaster, and it doesn't matter if it was the 40s or if it was, like, 2016. It's just, just it's, it's all consuming, it's overwhelming. And I think there was a, there was a quote, like, in the beginning where she was telling Angela, like, Everybody has their first time of moving to New York City, and it's special to everybody. And I think that's so true. Like, so when did you move to New York? So I moved um, at the end of 2016, probably like a year after I graduated college. And where are you from originally? I'm from Connecticut, so it wasn't too far from move, but I didn't really spend any time like going into the city as a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's still an experience. I'm sure it was much different for you. When did, when did you move to the city, actually? I moved May t- uh, May 2014. It was the week after I graduated college from Missouri. Oh my gosh, no way. Yeah. You went right there. Yeah, so I graduated. I had two graduation ceremonies. I had one on Saturday, and then 
I drove home to my parents Sunday and then flew out that Wednesday. And then the following Wednesday, I started at S&P. <laughs> What? No way. Yeah, so it was it was definitely a whirlwind. I didn't have an apartment when I moved here. Um, we got one our I think we signed the lease our second day after two days of looking. And like the first six months to a year were, were awful. Like they were so overwhelming. Yeah, I mean okay, so I guess I didn't have it like that. Like I was living at home commuting into New York for the first I'd say eight to ten months. And then I found time and looked for an apartment and then I moved. So now it was less overwhelming. But it's but still like you're and living here. It's still an extremely different experience that like I thought I was ready for. And I just wasn't. Yeah, I mean it's still your own experience. And like like in college, I don't know about you, but like I lived I lived with roommates, but I wasn't living at home, so I was used to being on my own. But like being on your own in New York is completely different than being on your own anywhere else. Yeah, I was, I was like technically like on my own when I went when I was in college, but I was also like in a farm town. There were, like, four bars. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you go to school? I went to UF Amherst. Oh, so okay. This truly Western math is farms and mountains, <laughs> horses and cows. <laughs> it was, you know, it was really beautiful, um, but it was nothing like New York. So just, like, the idea that she, like, moved here and everyone was like, you have to do this and this, and you have to go to these places and meet these people and, like, be wild. Like, she was literally told, you have to be wild, and I feel like, you move to New York and that's what people tell you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't believe this has never changed. It'll always be like this and it always has been this way. Yeah, and I yeah. there's so many like specific parts of this book that I remember and one of them was I think it was when she moved back to the city. So she's probably like 24, 25. And she was talking about how she would just like go for walks. And she finally got to learn the city because she was actually out and doing it. And I can totally relate because like that first year I would, I would just go for like long walks on Sunday. And that's why I learned the city. Like I just walked around by myself, like, you know, blocks on end just to see what this place was about. It was a very lonely yeah. time. I didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's the thing, and I think a lot of people who moved to the city and did, like, that's what they did when they first moved here, and I guess, again, I had a different experience, like, because I grew up close to New York, I knew people from, like, high school and college who ended up here, but I had that built-in group of people, so I'd say, like, the first year I was here was just going to the same, like, 7 to 8, 22-something like, bars where everyone was, like, 22 when it Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, probably only in the past year since I moved out of Manhattan into Brooklyn, have I started like walking around and riding my bike and like really learning about the city that way. And having a city that I go to all the time, like the Lower East Side, which I thought was like the grossest part of the city because I'd only ever go like on a Saturday night, like late at night. And like now I go, I'm like, this is a beautiful place. <laughs> I miss so much of New York because it is really a whirlwind. Yeah, it's so amazing how you like you open up your eyes after a few years and you can see the city differently. It's like a surprisingly lovely place. I just I think people give it you know a bad rep. I agree. I'm getting all this nostalgia right now and all of the, these like very like heartwarming feelings because I haven't been in the city in over a month now and I'm like, oh, I just love this place so much. I see the skyline from like when I walk in Brooklyn and I'm like, I miss you. I'll see you one day again. I know, I do the same thing. I take pictures, like the same picture every single day. And I'm like, oh, so close yet so far away. we are Vivian, except we weren't exiled for um, doing anything insane. Yeah, I think we're we're tamed versions of Vivian. And of course, we have the wisdom that she does in the latter half of the book. 
we had her as a great guide in her book. But the book that gave me definitely like a lot of nostalgia and then also made me feel like, okay, like everyone chills out eventually. I don't know. It was you book made me change my mind. Like maybe I'll give it a five points again. I don't know. Maybe it was good. <laughs> I mean, this happens to me too. Like sometimes I'll like I finish a book and I I know what my rating is, and then as I start to write about it, I'm either like, wait, no, I liked this book much more. Like I once I'm writing, I can't think of anything positive to say, so I'm like, oh god, no, this book was terrible. So my opinions also change after I finish a book. It's easy to do. I think yeah, I think my initial opinion after I finished it was the right one. Sometimes you you got a feeling out about a, about a book is right, and then sometimes you need some time. Mm-hmm. Step away from it. Okay, so one more question. For the peripheral characters that were in her early life, at least, who was your favorite? Ooh. I was trying to think about that. I was like, aside from Vivian, who did I like really love? And who did I think was like a really interesting character? And I don't know, it was really hard. I, I had a hard time like making that decision. They were all flawed. Like, I, I loved her aunt, her Aunt Peg. She was so humorous and and just weird. But she also was an alcoholic and had, like, a lot of demons. Not that that makes her a bad person, but, like, she definitely had her issues, too. Um, Cecilia, that was her friend, right, Cecilia? Cecilia, yeah. 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 Like, she was also very interesting and kind of, like, made her way in the world. But also, like, very promiscuous and, like, and again, not that that's a bad thing, but, like, she clearly had her inner demons. So, I don't know, like... They all had their own issues that they were dealing with, but they were all interesting to read about. Yes, I agree. And they all, I feel like this book could have been about any of those characters, mm-hmm. and it would have been just as interesting because they all were so vibrant. Mm-hmm. And a part I think about is towards the end of the book, like Vivian was reminiscing, being like, I wonder what happened to some of these people, like Celia. She always seemed like someone she would land on her feet. Um, and then she was like, One day I was on this, like watching TV, and Celia was on the news and she's like a newscaster or something and she looked great she's like oh, i'm happy to see she landed on her feet she always does and i was like maybe Celia was just like vivian and we didn't know it like she was just like young and wild and eventually like, found her way in the world and became like whatever she became a newscaster or some something some reporter yeah and i mean she had she had a really tough life like i i don't remember her whole backstory but i remember she was very young when she was on her own and she really had to make her own way and and she did that, and she still she was another person who I felt like was very much her own person and didn't really care what people thought about her, and I appreciated that. And yeah, and I feel like because not because, but Vivian was the way she was earlier. Like she was like bored, right? Was bored with her parents' life, with Bathur, with like the path she was meant to take, mm-hmm. and didn't know how to fill that void. But I think Celia, she probably came out the same end that Vivian did, like found her way and like calmed down. Mm-hmm. But the reason for how she was and what she did, to me, was far more interesting. Because she had to make her way through the world and like had to fight for things. Whereas Vivian had it, you know, made for her if she wanted it. Yeah, I mean, Vivian didn't even really have to work. She was living for free at the playhouse. You know, she didn't really have these tough things in her life that she was dealing with, where Celia definitely did. And I think a part of the reason why she, like, she went out all the time, um... I think part of that was to try to, to try to deal with all of the tough things that had happened in her life. Yeah. Celia wasn't my favorite peripheral, peripheral character, aside from Vivian. It was actually Uncle Billy, who I just loved. I just loved Uncle Billy. I know. I feel like he, you were supposed to not like him. Like, he's clearly an asshole, but 
I don't know. He was fun. He was he was really good at what he did. He created this really great show, and I think he saw like the good in other people, and he like picked out these actors who didn't have a lot of great experience, and he put them into this show, and made them something special. So I agree. I don't think he's he's meant to be likable, but I liked him nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. I think he he was obviously a flake and kind of like in his own world to some degree. But you can tell he was, like, a really, like, lovable character and, like, loved the people he loved. And he loved Vivian's odd peg, even if it didn't work out for them because, you know, she was in love with a, what was that character? You know, she was a lesbian, I guess. But mm-hmm. they had, like, different paths to take. But you can tell there was so much love in Billy's heart. He just seemed like a really fun character. And I was like, he, he doesn't deserve all this negativity. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, he, he definitely was a lovable person. Like, you wanted to love him and he could love others. But he just, I don't think he knew how to how to make good choices all of the time. And I think that was, I think that was a common thread of a lot of these characters. These, and I keep going back to it, but these, like, interesting characters who were going to do something significant with their lives, like, they had, in my mind, like, fatal flaws, which was, like, deep narcissism. And for that reason, like, Vivian could never be them because she, I guess, you know, learned her lesson and I grew it. Um, and I think chose to be, in this case, I think she chose to be a good person over being an interesting person. That's a very intriguing point that you make there. I would love to pick Gilbert's brain and to see like what she thought of Vivian at the end and to see what her intention was and like changing her life story and like who her character became. It's like you think that Gilbert thought that Vivian at the end of the day ended up being that interesting person. Yeah, I, I think so, but I think you make a really good point. So I would love to see like what, what Gilbert's point was and what she was trying to say. Yeah, well, that's so true. I wonder, I mean, not that every book has to have, like, some sort of thesis statement. Should we put a call of action out to Elizabeth Gilbert that if she's listening, she should let <laughs> us know? <laughs> what was she trying to say about the world through Vivian? Yes. What was what were your intentions when you were writing Vivian and her character arc? We would like to know. So this is what I know about Elizabeth Gilbert, okay? She read, she, sorry, not read, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. She was married. And then she, like, went on this, like, journey when she got divorced, met this man on her, like, her actual Eat, Pray, Love trip that she did, got married again, and, like, they got divorced, or he died or something, and then she found love with a woman. Not to say that Elizabeth Gilbert in any way is Vivian, but I think her whole, like, life and her writing is all about, like, women finding, like, love and peace with themselves, and that, like, any path a person takes is, like, the okay one, and it's, like, you have the right to figure it out. And I think Vivian is, like, her fantasy version of, like, a person figuring out their life. I didn't know any of that about Gilbert, and now I need to, like, ponder. Now that I know her her life story a little bit more, I need to ponder what I think her intentions were with this book. I mean, I think I got, like, most of it wrong, like, the details, but the vibe vibe is still the same, where she, like, has made bold choices and, like, loved a lot of different people and has traveled the world and, like, you know, maybe not making all the... I feel like from what I understood about her, from what I read, like, not always made the right choices, but has made the choices that she felt were right for her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Vivian is also this, like, bold character who is, who's willing to always go against convention. I definitely feel like she's putting some of her life experiences into these characters, and I don't think she necessarily aligns with, with any one of them in particular, but, like, mm-hmm. now that I know these details, I can see how she's, like, sprinkled herself into the story in different parts. 
So clearly we could talk about City of Girls for a very long time um, because it was such a good book and so fascinating to read. But I would also like to know what books you're reading now and what you have on, on your to-be-read list. Oh, okay. So uh, the books I've been, like, in general that I've been really into are, like, I love romantic comedies mm-hmm. to watch. And I feel like I've watched every romantic comedy that I love um, or that's existed in the past 10 years. Like, I'll just look for anything. And I was like, I need to try and start writing books that are, like, romantic comedy <laughs> So I guess I've been reading, I think you called it this early, like, a chiclet kind of books. And one of the more recent ones I read was One Day in December, which follows this, like, woman and this man over 10 years where she's on the bus and she sees him sitting on the stoop and they make eye contact and she, like, falls in love with him at first sight. And it, like, follows their relationship over 10 years and, like, all of the ups and downs and then it has, like, a happy ending, not to give it away. And so those are the kind of books I've super been into and they've been really fun. Like, I love getting immersed in a character's life through a long span of time. So I've been looking for books that, like, tell a story about a relationship. So One Day in December, something I read very recently, and I'm obsessed with. I always love that book. One of my one of my other friends just recommended that book to me as well. So I'm definitely going to have to add it to my list. It was a really fun ride. So I've been kind of looking for similar books like that to read. We definitely have similar taste in books, because I also love that t- that genre. Well, thank you so much, Sakshi, for joining the Bibliophiles. It was so much fun to talk about this book, and you're definitely going to come back soon so we can talk about more novels that we've read. Yeah, yeah, this was awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. All right, listeners, we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bibliophiles. If you want more, be sure to check out my blog, Big Little Literature. If you want to hear today's music from Evan Schaefer, Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Evan Schaefer. See you next time.